Hey guys, this is Akshay checking in from the editing booth. This is part two of our two-part preview on Georgia Tech football. This has all of the season preview and the schedule preview and all the conference preview stuff. So uh, go ahead and enjoy. Uh, a quick recap of the schedule. You all know this, uh, but we're just recapping it for you. Usually there's two cupcakes to start the season, uh, and then we get into the bulk of the ACC schedule. That's all five, six other coastal teams. I don't even know how big this conference is anymore. Uh, and then the cross-divisional against Clemson, uh, and then maybe sometimes Notre Dame occasionally, uh, and then uh, Athens at the end of the year, except last year because everything uh, was weird last year occasionally that Clemson game will be first up in 2019 it was the first game of the ACC network that sucked uh in 2020 it was a well I guess it was it wasn't a any sort of release it was just it happened it just sort of happened that way again um and then uh next year it'll be uh I think it's the Chick-fil-a kickoff game uh, as part of the Mercedes-Benz uh, agreement, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah, stuff happens. Tech, tech football, historically, well, at least as long as we've been fans, has a lot of scheduling challenges because they lock themselves into effectively, well, in the modern reality of the ACC, they lock themselves into at least two Borderline auto losses every year, would you say? I mean, <laughs> you can't really do much about them. But you, uh, let me let me rephrase this a little bit more positively. They, Georgia Tech football locks itself because of its scheduling agreements, both with the ACC and in state. They lock themselves into playing two consistent college football playoff contenders. They are auto locked into that. Some years you get yes. Miami on a rise. Some years you get th- this year, you're going to get UNC on a rise and you're going to get Notre Dame that uh, we've had Notre Dame the last two years. So mm-hmm. y- you have these situations where it's not just two, uh, two consistent contenders. It's three and sometimes four. And you have yeah. national talking heads. Like I-, I think this was covered on split zone duo a couple of weeks ago that look at that schedule and be like, who buddy, who, buddy and especially when you're talking about a growing program right a program that's trying to retool trying to rebuild um regardless of how sticky that that kind of speech is i think there is some merit to it uh this kind of scheduling is is difficult right it's a it's a built-in challenge to try to overcome I, i think we've talked about talked about this kind of scheduling with basketball where you schedule difficult and sort of play you want to see that team, the team play some of these tougher opponents and learn throughout the season. But at the end of the day for a football season, there's only 12 games. Uh, So sometimes I I think there's a discussion to be had over whether putting together schedules that in the future are going to include a potentially resurgent Ole Miss next year, Uh, central Florida, take that for what you will. It depends on what Gus does this year. Um, Alabama in like 2030 uh, some of these games there, there's a discussion to be had about whether that is the right strategy moving forward yeah for sure and, and that's that's the thing I think 
in any given year, we probably play more legitimate or as many legitimate national championship contenders in football as we do basketball. No, absolutely. And that's a scare. That is a scary thing to think about. Cause like, like we say about basketball, you, you got to take your lumps where you can get it. A quad one loss is, is a quad one loss. It's not, it doesn't sink your season, but in football, if you're penciling in Clemson, UGA, it's not as, even pencil it's at a certain level, right? It's it's pen. I'm not yeah. gonna I'm not gonna be unrealistic about it. Like it's pen. You're writing some of these things in pen. We can we can dive into the nitty-gritty of each specific team this year, but the more I look at the upcoming season, the less I'm telling the pessimist Georgia Tech fan in me to shut up. Because this is why they play the games. And then we can, like I said. We'll dive into the, you know, the nitty gritty of each team that we're facing and then some breakout players and why, why this year is going to be different or why it might be the same, quite frankly. <laughs> we can but talk. We're getting there. The moral of the story is we can talk all we want about how history, maybe, maybe we make choices differently over the last 60 odd years. Or we can talk about, hey, like the deck, the deck is stacked against us being who we are with our schedule and whatnot. But at the end of the day, the, the reason we all watch sports and play attention, pay attention, wow, I cannot speak, uh, is because this is why you play the games, right? If, mm-hmm. if in one of the more famous anecdotes, uh, if Georgia Tech uh, on, a, on a rainy day could take down a number one Alabama because that's Dodd's weather, like that, that's why you play the game, right? That, that kept Bama from a title. Uh, we threw away half of the 1927 season to, to explicitly ruin uh, Georgia's season as well. Like the, the, wherever you go in sports history, and it doesn't even have to be just college football or just Georgia Tech college football, you know, <laughs> unexpected things can come from unexpected places. And to say that this year should be seen pessimistically, I think, is a farce and then you don't enjoy the 12 games we're going to have. So I feel personally attacked by that soliloquy. You know what? We're, we're just from, from the rumble seat. We're all just haters. My guy, we're all just haters. Are you, are you uh, claiming to not be part of the media establishment while simultaneously being the media establishment right here? Exactly. I'm playing it both ways. (laughs) I'm playing both sides so that I always end up on top. Exactly. Terrible. All right. Let's talk about some returning contributors and actually talk some ball right in front of me on my third computer screen. One, two, three. I have some receiving EPA numbers uh, provided to us by uh, CFB Nate on Twitter. Do you want to uh, talk about them? Sure. I sure hope you know what you're going to say, because I don't even know where these numbers are at. Cool, because I'm not showing them to you. Uh, Malachi Carter, we're talking advanced stats today, folks. Malachi Carter, in however many games he played, I think he appeared in all eight. I don't even remember how many. We played ten. Malachi Carter accumulated 27.9 expected points added. Uh, Adonica Sanders with 20.8, Marquez Ezard 9.1, and Peje Harris at 8.3. All four of those receivers, pure wide receivers, 
uh, and I guess Peja Harris is a part-time tight end. Um, all four of them are returning. Mike, go ahead. Go ahead. I, no, I'm gonna, just going to say, here's, here's a problem. Here's a problem. That is, and I haven't done the math, that puts us at around, let's round up and say 70-ish uh, expected points added total from the receiving department. Here's the problem. Jalen Camp, who is now with the Jaguars, had 42 <laughs> EPA, total EPA. Amarian Brown, who transferred to South Carolina, I think, South Carolina, yeah. South Florida, South, South Carolina, had 14.4. So you're talking about starting at about 70 from last season, and now you're at 10-ish, maybe even five. I'm not doing math in my head right now. Here's the good news. Here's the great news. Uh, Kyrick McGowan, who's a transfer in from Northwestern, adds back 35.7. So you're looking – before you add some of the non-pure wide receivers, so you, this doesn't include Jameer Gibbs or anything. Before you add uh, those numbers, you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of like 45 total returning EPA, which is – I mean, considering what you've lost because of Jalen Camp in 2020, pretty good. Do you know the uh, meme where the lady is just looking at numbers flying past her face? Yeah, the one where she has, like, trig identities floating around her. Yeah, that's how I feel right now, because I don't know where you're getting these numbers. I don't know if they're right. I have no way to vet this. Okay, hold on. So, so my the, it's the, 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 the image is going in the document once I can copy it and paste it. Because I, I, I love math, and I love numbers, but I'm going to run off gut feel here and say that I've liked what I've seen from what we have left. And I don't think it's fair to say the cupboard is dry. And I think that, uh, you know, a, a year of normal practices and a, a quarterback who isn't a true freshman, I don't know how much <laughs> shame on me. I, I, I have two STEM degrees saying this. I don't know how much the numbers matter coming into this year. Gasp. Gasp. He said, I wish I had more, more numbers to share actually, uh, because I think from the rumble seat this this year or the, at least this offseason we've done a really good job of starting to integrate more numbers into our process and that a lot of the uh a lot of the credit for that goes to to robert binion uh who's been doing a really good job at writing a lot of advanced stats stuff i talked a little bit about the receiving epa about about the receiving core um i think the way another part of this that you touched on with your more vibesy mentality here was a quarterback that's not a true freshman anymore, and also that is working behind a retooled offensive line now, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of people would would point at the major failing of the 2020 Georgia Tech offense and even the 2019 Georgia Tech offense as a offensive line uh, that was bottom five at best in the FBS, right? And I, I'm not going to, you know, sit and shame, continue to shame for that fact, but that that's the reality, right? They, they, that's what we're dealing with. And especially when you're working at a position where cohesiveness and timing and all that stuff is, is super important, that lack of performance is lack of consistent performances at those positions hurt. And so now you're looking at Jeff Sims, 
who's a, it was by eligibility a freshman because of the COVID year, but, but it is a sophomore, his completion percentage over expectation, uh, which we usually point to as a, you know, a pretty consistent evaluator of quarterback quality. Um, it, it was not super good last year. He, he ended up being at a uh, minus 2.9%. So based on the passes that he threw, uh, his completion percentage would be expected to be 2.9% better than what it actually was. And you can evaluate that at various lengths, but basically he, the average, the national average for qualifying quarterbacks, like Robert mentions in his article was about 2%. So you have basically what you're saying is Jeff is 4% under the national average about of at that, you know, average quarterback performance, what we expect from uh, what we expect from an FBS quarterback. Uh, where are we going from here? What does, and what, what does a full off season a non COVID affected off season? What does a full spring practice schedule? What does a full summer practice schedule? What does working on all of that timing and formations and having, uh, and having a lot of time to work, on relationships with his other skill positions. What does that translate into on the field coming in uh, in next week or in two weeks, I think, is this week is, is week zero. Um, what does that look like? That is going to be one of the major questions that Tech is going to have to answer this year. And I think this is that is primed me for my vibe Z take again. I think this is the perfect example of something that's more than the sum of its parts, right? So based on what we saw last year, based on what the numbers tell us in returning versus the, the you know, you, you can't quantify knowing the offense better. Mm-hmm. You can't quantify the extra reps, knowing how to take a hit, having a better line. Like all, all of these things, at least in, in my, you know, uh, spirit club band kid kind of, kind of football experience lead to a, a something that, Hey, maybe there's, maybe there should be reasonable expectations that are a little bit higher just because, Hey, we can already say you know, Vegas or whoever projects us at four and a half wins based on what we, what we already know about this team. But I think quite frankly, that there's stuff that we, we don't, you know, I, and, and that's where, that's where my, I guess, optimism or measured optimism is coming from. Mm-hmm. I am trying to pull up the SP plus rankings for this season. Let's see if I have to log in. Crap. Uh, show me the rankings. I wanted to use them for educated analysis. Let me do the thing. Vamp believe, really quick. Vamp. Continue I believe, to vamp. Um, I noted the Vegas line was originally four and a half. I believe that's trended up. Maybe people agree with me. Maybe people are trying to make money. Um, at the same time, I think this is probably a, a great example of, of the, the positives of analytics, but at the same time, having a holistic view of sport. Um, I, I don't know. That's why, <laughs> that's why so much of, of media comes off the, the eye test at the same time, right? You want to hear what people are doing. I see you shaking your head. I, I can be that guy. We got everyone. Has I to know exactly. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. 
I know exactly what type of math you did for your master's degree. So I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this anti-analytic screed, but to for, go further and dig myself into this numbers-based hole, uh, tech is currently, as of the preseason projections, a 62nd in SP+. Plus. Uh, over an average team, they'd be favored on a neutral field, they'd be favored by four points. I believe, I believe that represents a pretty sizable drop from the February or January update that he did. Um, yes, I believe when it's I wrote about the, a 20-ish place drop, I think. Okay. What's um, the logic there? I, I believe the th- this drop is from last week. Uh, this incorporates all of the roster changes. Okay. Um, so you have some transfers out of the program that happened uh, over the course of the last couple months. Uh, a couple more transfers into the program. Uh, the recruiting uh, recruiting class isn't going to affect this, but um, there's a couple other conference strength factors that that, that also uh, come into play here. Um, in general, what Bill Connolly, front of the program, is saying here is that Tech is expected to be a middle of the road team nationally. Right. So <laughs> I haven't looked. It's not an exciting thing to say. Right. It's not it's not flashy, but the way that this and you can game this out a little bit. I haven't actually done all of the the plotting in terms of outcomes with SP plus ratings. But the if, if you want to think about it like this, think of what you think a mediocre team average, to put it nicely, an average team in FBS looks like that's a six and six or a five and seven. Right. Yeah. Five and seven is what we've been talking about where this team should be to show proof of concept in 2021. Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's very understandable to see that and go, wow, that might translate to worse just because we are not playing an average schedule. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also would add that being an average FBS team would probably be a step up from where we've been. Yeah, no, I, I would agree for the most part because you saw a lot of mistakes on the offensive end and you saw a defense that had trouble generating a pass rush and that pass lack of pass rush caused a lot of issues on the back end for, uh, for the, for the secondary right? That that was in 2020. And you saw a little bit of that in 2021. Obviously, there's some progression, right? Between 2020 and 2021, there's obvious points of progression, the emergence of a of a quarterback. Uh, the offensive line was strengthened a little bit. Um, the, there was a functional, a, a, a ineffective maybe, but a, a cohesive offense, uh, an offensive game plan in, in, in 2020. Um, but the, the pieces were there, right? The formulaic pieces were there. They just need to be refined. Uh, and, and you can kind of see that eke out in what Bill thinks uh, some of the offensive and defensive ranks will look like, right? He's looking at a top 60 defense uh, for Georgia Tech. It ranked at 55. And then a top 80 sounds bad, but like now you're starting to get into the lower percentiles, but a 74th ranked offense. So he's saying, hey, the offense is going to grow again. It's still going to be better. The defense we are expecting based on how they played historically or based on how they played last year and based on who they have coming back 
it should produce at a, at a at a top 60 rate, a top half of the nation rate. And that's where Bill has had us for the last couple of years. 2019 aside, I think 2019 is a weird year in terms of how much turnover is going on. But that that 55 number isn't too far away from what Tech started off the season at last year. And they ended in the 70 range. So you can clearly see that decrease uh, or at least that delta in terms of preseason and end of season uh, results there. Do you want me to do something uh, expectationally irresponsible right now? Fine. Uh, Bobby Ross in 1987 went two and nine. In 1988, he went three and eight. In 1989, he went seven and four. I'm not saying that we need to be the Georgia Tech football of 1989. But if you look at that progression, that is far superior to not doing that, right? So you're, you're mm-hmm. saying this, this third-year expectation, and, and we, we live in a modern football discourse where a lot of coaches are given the theoretical year zero, or I heard some people say about this specific case, a year negative one, which I don't necessarily think is uh, Look, it's not as it's not as but, bad as Kansas's year negative four, but I'll give you the I'll give you the discourse here. But at, but at, at the same time, if you go further back, 1980, Bill Curry one nine and one. 1981, one and ten. 1982, six and five. You're looking at a, a trend that is fairly reasonable to expect out of coaching transitions in in the last 40 years and you can look at other programs do the same thing i just cherry pick these two for my notes here um of in that third year generally you need to expect some some sort of step up right into that that mediocre medium average whatever word you want to put on it realm of hey there's a process that is being executed here and and quite frankly I do, I do think that Jeff Sims is the answer and somebody you can build off. I think Jameer Gibbs, obviously, without a doubt, is, mm-hmm, is a player mm-hmm, that you can mm-hmm, build mm-hmm. off of and, and a player that arguably we only saw 75%, you know, in 75% of three games. games. He missed three and, games. And at the same time, you know, like that is a, a, a Jameer Gibbs that doesn't know the offense, like presumably he does now, right? So you're, you're, you're adding this this process plus these players. I think you. I think the the expectation of growth into a, a, a medium or even somewhere better if things really really click. I, I think is a reasonable place to be at. I, so Vegas knows more than we do, right? Yep. They, they set that they set that win total at four and a half. What? let's talk about this in terms of like a gut slash heart versus brain thing. What does your gut say about that win total? And what does your brain say about that win total? NIU, Kennesaw state, Duke need to, and we can expect them to be wins. Right. Yeah. So So really you're only pulling, you're only pulling one and a half more out of a hat. And that is between Boston college, Virginia tech, Pittsburgh, Virginia. You got to believe that there's at least two wins in that pile of four games somewhere. And that gets you to five. And then on top of that, you have the 
North Carolina, Miami, Notre Dame, UGA, and Clemson. It's really easy to look at those five games and go, you're not going to win any of them. But again, there's a lot of cracks at, at some giants here, right? Like, yes, you get UGA at home. Maybe that helps a little bit. Yeah, maybe Notre Dame lost something. Yeah, you're playing Clemson early week three. Maybe there's something there. Miami, who knows with Miami? Like, who knows what Miami will be at the end of the season? They have not beat us in a legitimate contest since 2015. 2016 was a fluke. 2017 was a fluke. We beat them in 2018. We beat them in 2019. And we didn't play in 2020. You can't, uh, you cannot tell me. Maybe you can argue, but, but I, okay, look, I was there when, uh, when they, f- when tech fumbled on consecutive drives into the end zone. And oh, yeah. 2016. That was the first time my family visited tech. They had a miserable time. Woof. Uh, trendsetter, yeah. as one may say. Yeah. No, the, uh, Miami has not beat us in a legitimate game since 2015. And that was, that was a fluke of a season, right? I I don't, I don't think that you can just write Georgia tech completely off in that game. I I don't think that's responsible or fair to that team, uh, to this team. Right. And then, yeah, again, Notre Dame's on the road. That's a tough place to play. And we're going up there when it'll be cold like that. That's not great, but you're not playing Ian book. You're not playing frankly a, a playoff team this year. Maybe they, maybe they will, but they have to prove that right there. They've got as many questions as any playoff contender. So yeah, four wins, I, I think is the, the, the expectation at least, but I think there's a path to, to six or seven. If, if you win a game that you should, or, you know, maybe pick up three of those four question marks instead of two of the four or, or, or something like that. Cause because picking up, doing, taking care of business, Duke, NIU, Kennesaw State, plus, uh, you know, Virginia Tech, a lot of questions there. Virginia, definitely not, not a perfect team by any stretch of the imagination. And then Pittsburgh and Boston College. Pittsburgh is who we think they are. They are the They always of, have been. They, they, they are always who we have think been. they are. Kenny, Kenny Pickett is out there leading his 20th season of Pitt football on the field, you know, his son's already waiting in the wings to take over next year. I don't know if that that's definitely not true. Don't quote me on that, but you know, like, like there is, we know as much about them as we know anyone. And the only reason that game was not a one score game is because of shenanigans that happened right at the end. And because of shenanigans that probably should have left us with a chance had they not happened or been called the right way should have left us with at least a chance to win as time expired in that game woof last year and that was a an objectively should be a worse georgia tech program than what we're seeing this year i think and yes i did just talk myself into bull eligibility here i think that a six and six season is possible not probable but possible okay here's my bit and i'm going to dampen i'm going to be the antithesis to your expectations good or at least your optimism that's why there's two hosts right no, there's two hosts because they pay me to put, put you on this program. Anyway, um, here, here's what I'm thinking. The gut, right, my – I think I have my actual opinions written down here reversed. My brain says under, right, under four and a half, they'll sit at four. 
it, four is enough to show progress. I, I think given the schedule, I think four is enough to show progress than three, like three and nine. I don't think that's, I, I think hitting expectations is the first step, right? Five is where my gut is at. My, my gut and my heart is at because I, the way that I've been stringing this along for, for the off season is there are five wins on that schedule and you named three of them, right? The, the NIU, Kennesaw State and Duke. You need to grab two out of a, uh, like a funhouse mirror Virginia Tech team um, that that may not have a head coach by the time Tech plays them. Uh, UVA, Pitt, and Boston College. You can even if you write off UNC and Miami, you still have four other teams in there that are winnable on paper games, regardless of uh, shenanigans notwithstanding. Right, they're winnable. I'm not saying that they are. They will be won. They are winnable. They are within that like 60 to 40 predictive win probability margin at the end of the day uh, on paper. That's, that's where I'm coming at with this. There are five wins on the schedule if Tech wants to take them. And that's the drum that I've been beating <laughs> across a variety of platforms this, this offseason. I really do think it, it's six. I think you're going to have a hard time convincing me of six. Uh, you're going to have some low uh, post-game win expectancies there, but five is the sweet spot for me. Five is where I'm comfortable saying, here is proof of concept. Let's go out and make a bowl next year. Let's go out and make a larger bowl the year after that. And let's start winning the Coastal the year after that. Or maybe those those last two years, let's Let's compete against the UNCs and the Miamis for that top spot. Um, but but this year, it, it you have to show five in order for that, in order to see that process sort of complete itself in the next three to three years, right? I, I think with four, you sort of see it, but it's a lot. It's a dimmer light. Five is a pretty bright light moving forward. This just came completely out of nowhere about us competing with the UNCs and Miamis of the world. We talk a lot about the perception of the, the ACC as like this weirdo hodgepodge mess, traditional powers down, yada, yada, Miami, Florida State, whatever. But in, in the narrative there, you completely sleep on, on when you only mentioned Florida State and Miami in this perception of the, con, uh, the, you know, the conference that Pittsburgh has seven or eight national titles, that Virginia Tech was one of the best programs of the 2000s and and part of the 1990s and part of the 2010s, and that Georgia Tech is the original football power in the South. So I think you can see that there's there's a path to, I guess, relevance or, or, or success for the conference. I think that requires... North Carolina, Miami to stay on top, but also for the Georgia Techs, Virginia Techs, Pittsburghs, this other half of, of the coastal, really, uh, along with Florida State, to kind of pick up, pick up the pace as well. So it should be interesting to see how that narrative shifts if they can stay up and if Georgia Tech can be perceived as, a, as an ascendant power. Because you could always just run into the logjam that is, you know, the Big Ten West or whatever. Log jam. Yes. Log jam is how I would describe that. Sure. Sure. 
Let's go with that. It's a log jam that either Wisconsin or Northwestern somehow wins. Every year, without a doubt. Every year, without a doubt. All right, let's – I think we've been talking too much. Let's close out by uh, talking a little bit more and uh, outlooking, recapping, previewing, question mark, uh, the Coastal and the Atlantic. We did the written previews for these. So here's what we're going to do. I assume – you have the Atlantic or, or the coastal preview opened up since you wrote that one. I did write that fun fact. Uh, and I have the Atlantic preview pulled up. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go in order of projected finish and ask each other about each team. Okay. Yeah. Alternating. Okay. Okay. Let's start with a coastal. Let's start with North Carolina. This is for you. All right. Ask away. I'm asking you how North Carolina is going to be doing. It's 10 p.m. on the East Coast, buddy. Oh, come on. Oops. Not that late. Well, we'll see. I think North Carolina is going to win the ACC Coastal simply because they've shown us more. They have the most proven quarterback commodity in the conference, let alone the division. That's Sam Howell. Their coach, uh, for all the doubts that he was, you know, couldn't couldn't do it washed up whatever retread of 30 years ago you know he's built he's built a good staff around him and and quite frankly that orange bowl game should have been a one score game coming down to the end uh so they've really been there and and given good sec program a run for their money and they thrashed miami last year so like (laughs) i don't really see yes you lose a lot of skill players yeah you use uh jazz Whatever his last Surratt. name. Yeah, Surratt. There we go. Thanks. Uh, but at, at the same time, I don't know what what they actually did in Chapel Hill. Read between the lines there if you want. But yeah, yeah, money. Um, but hey, the uh, the boys who who live in the stadium that UGA completely ripped off to build Sanford Stadium, they're doing they're doing something right, and I don't see any reason for that to change. Uh, let's flip over to the Atlantic for my first pick, which was Clemson. Uh, if you think they won't win the Atlantic, you are hilariously wrong and you might want to get your eyes checked. Clemson, I have beachfront, I have beachfront property for you on Memorial Drive if, if you do. Beachfront property, oceanfront views in Omaha is my best way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, they could I, I honestly think and this is not a bit well it's mostly a bit but I think they could play the second string for a good chunk of the conference season and and still be in Charlotte at the end of the year I, I there's no way the, the only way that Clemson loses this division is if Florida State or NC State makes a major takes a major step forward Boston College isn't going to do it that defense isn't good enough but, and we'll get to the other teams, but Florida state, I don't think is there NC state, even if they make a push, something is going to happen. It happens every year. Something happens to NC state. Uh, it's Clemson's the division to lose. Want to right. take on, on the NC state Clemson debate. We'll get there. We, we'll get no. there. Okay. Fine, fine, fine. We'll get there. Fine. Miami's next on my list. Go for it. They have the talent to win the division. They, they always do. Starter. It, they, they recruit well, uh, but 
Derek King's coming off an ACL injury. They lost a decent amount of talent to the draft, but they do have that backfill in there. The problem is for all of their talent, the last 17, 18 years of Miami football have just been a repeated story on them squandering talent. They've scored a grand total of three points in ACC championship games in a division they were designed in the early 2000s to dominate indefinitely. And, and until, until they do something, that, that's the difference here, I think, ultimately, is North Carolina has actually shown more than just the that Miami gets that hype every year. I believe it was a top 10 matchup last year for Clemson. Was that team a top 10 team even when they were ranked in the top 10? I doubt it. It's bad. Like the way that they they do that. I, I was saying it while you were talking. They every year they have the talent to win this division every single year. And they just can't. I don't know how. They just can't. Yep. But they 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 do something. They lose to a, a, a Georgia Tech randomly or a Duke or uh they get pit superweapons at the end of the year. <laughs> they get they get uh beat by FIU in, in the Miami Marlins Park remains in a game that existed for some reason. Which which can we talk about how twisted that is for Miami, the Miami Hurricanes to play a game on the like ghostly site of their former home stadium, the original Orange and Bowl, lose. And, and to FIU and all the Schnellenberger nonsense. Of FIU, like there's just so many so, so much many voodoo. ghosts in that. Like like I, I think you, like just just soft Coral Gables and then it crashed into Nassau or something like that. Like that's. If that's the only way you could fix that program. It's voodoo. There's so much voodoo yeah. right there. Uh, my next team is Florida State. Uh, they're not going to win the Atlantic, but I think Mackenzie Milton, I think there's been some questions about his injury status. If he's healthy and uh, that offense clicks, that could, be a, that could be a thing right there. The last time we saw him play, his leg had – less structural support than a bowl of mac and cheese. Like, I don't, I don't see how you can like, like, like when he left UCF, it was because he wasn't the number one quarterback option anymore. I don't, I don't get how plugging him into a, a Florida state team that was fundamentally flawed. I, I, I get and that they can be better line, than last year, but that I offensive line, I'm told, I'm told that that offensive line should be a thing and not just, philosophically existent uh this year so hopefully he he wears a lot of padding on that knee and, and he's okay yeah also mckenzie milton should not be playing football look that is my no. personal take he yeah. should not be playing football but uh i guess good on him for continuing to try i would like to add one more thing on miami that i just uh that i just remembered also their home stadium's getting turned into an f1 track so uh they got that going for him never mind That'll be a fun. That'll be a fun track uh, for someone that doesn't watch F one all that much. Tell me about Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh. I have them at third because I think they have a really, really high floor and a really, really low ceiling. And that ceiling being either randomly super weaponing Clemson, which I believe is still Clemson's last regular season home loss, is their twenty sixteen uh, Pitt 
showing. I thought they got um, accused. They got accused in like. 20- no, that was on the road. Clemson does mm-hmm. get Syracuse in the Carrier Dome on a Friday night. Not called the Carrier Dome anymore. Not is it uh, actually still called the Carrier Dome? I thought they lost so. the sponsorship. That'd be really ironic now that they finally have AC and lose that sponsorship. I, I don't know. Frankly, that just caught me completely off guard. But Pittsburgh, they have that low ceiling is either randomly beating Clemson in a fluky regular season game or getting their, the brakes beat off of them in a postseason game that actually matters. Like we said earlier, uh, Narduzzi's been there for a hot minute now. So has their quarterback, Kenny Pickett. <laughs> like, Yes, there's the meme that that Pittsburgh always has that one random game every year, which, quite frankly, it is like an every other year-ish thing, too, and that, that's just called playing the game of football. I think we, we ascribe these otherworldly super weapony powers onto Pitt that it, it's, it's not fair to expect anything more than what we already know they're going to give us, and that is a roughly top 50-ish program. All right, well, so let's look at where – Pitt's offense is ranked to start the season. 72nd in SP plus is much higher than where I thought they'd be. Uh, at one point last year, they were in well in the one hundreds. Uh, really? the season, like the week before they played tech last year, they were in the one hundreds. So. <laughs> yeah, that ain't good chief. Uh, not a good. Uh, Kenny Pickett makes that offense. But he also makes that offense if you get my if you get my drift there. Yeah, I also have one more take on Pittsburgh. Go for it. I think that that stupid handshake drama is the most important thing that's happened on a football field between these two teams since like John Heisman was coaching against Pop Warner for like unofficial national championships, simply because maybe that'll do something to get our fan base to freaking care about this game every year. Because it, it, like that's the problem with playing in the ACC Coastal and like, oh, we're still living in 1980 as Tech fans where we play Tennessee and Vandy and, and Auburn and Bama and those are the schools we care about, whatever. Like the reality is we have Virginia Tech, obviously that's grown into a nice rivalry naturally over the years. We've played Duke after last year's shenanigans is now our longest played series and nobody gives two shakes about them. The attendance numbers back it up. I, I double checked that before I said this because I have it open now. Um, like, like there needs to be some sort of fire and cause, cause you're not seeing Florida state every year. You're not seeing NC state every year, which seems like it would make perfect sense as like a, a rivalry. Cause I, I don't know. It just seems like it makes sense. Nerd NC Southern state is NC state is an outer cursed. state embodiment about of Atlanta sports, but continue. Yes. Um, but like outside of Miami, Virginia tech, the, the coastal's just not, not jazzing up tech fans. And if this is what it takes then bring on Pittsburgh. Like, look, start some random wrestling style beef about handshakes and disrespect and and whatever, and, and maybe there'll be some sort of discourse for it. God, that has to be one of my worst takes ever. Oh, that's a I stand terrible. by it. I stand by it. Speaking of bad takes, you have you said you had a bit about NC State that you wanted to share. Oh yeah, and that is even if they manage to somehow, some way upset Clemson and get themselves in like conversation to go to Charlotte, they're still going to blow it somewhere else. And Clemson's going to go anyways. Cause that is, that is the life of the NC state fan. They finally have the worst team in the conference tournament in, in baseball to play for a, for an ACC title for the first time in 30 years. What do they do? They roll over and die and lose to Duke. 
You know, like that, that is, that is the life of being an NC state fan is the, you're going to make NFL talent. You're going to get nine wins, but you're never going to win the ones that matter. They're not going to be North Carolina this year and they're not going to be Clemson this year. And if they do, they're going to blow it somewhere else. I, I wrote in my preview for, for NC state, how they won't win the Atlantic. Something will happen. Something always happens to NC State when they're at the threshold between good and great. They do. They do. Something always happens. And I know if an NC State fan is reading, is listening to this, they was reading this when it was on the preview, they're nodding along. They're nodding along with a tear in their eye. This is the only team in the ACC that I actively keep a misery index for. <laughs> it's just so sad. Like, it's there's NC State and then there's Atlanta Sports and those are the only two active misery indexes that that Jake keeps. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we need we need to keep moving because it is oh it's ten fifteen. Uh, we'll skip us uh, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech. For all the narrative that Virginia Tech hasn't done anything under under Fuente, he's won the coastal once and has three seasons with at least eight wins. That's pretty good. The numbers are pretty kind to him this year, especially their offense. But like, it just seems like the entire narrative has escaped Blacksburg. And that's a really dumb way to analyze a football program, narrative, blah, 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 whatever. But they're not recruiting in-state like they used to. They're seeing a lot of transfers out of the program through faults of their own and not. Like that is, there just doesn't seem to be any consistency. And quite frankly, like they're, they're not playing a Georgia tech schedule or, or, or a South Carolina schedule in that, like, Oh gosh, like tech only won three games last year. Virginia, Virginia tech's not playing Clemson every year. They're not playing UGA every year. So like the, the expectations in terms of raw, raw wins look, looks different and means something different for these programs. So I, I don't know. Virginia tech just doesn't, doesn't have it. Like there's, there's no, no, floor like we talk about Pitt having a high floor like virginia tech it is just like the floor is lava where to go like we 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 don't know Dude, what he, to think he could get fired either before they play uh play is that game in atlanta or in blacksburg uh ooh, that is a great question it is an odd year so I yeah but we didn't play atlanta. last year yes because they play atlanta and boston college or georgia tech and boston college on the road in back-to-back weeks that is a really crappy road trip. But my point is that he could he could either be fired before they play that game in Atlanta, or he could be left on the tarmac at Hartsfield Jackson. And both are equally equally possible probabilities because that man, that guy has to he might have to win the division like win the division and possibly win an ACC title to keep his job. Like I, I did I did spend an hour and a half of my day listening to the uh basketball conference podcast in the background as I worked. Um, and I will say it seems like their fan base is very late years, Paul Johnson on Justin Fuente. If you're picking up what I'm laying down, just He's, like that, like the two defendery defenders and the two anti anti people. And like the, the, there's going to be, you know, there's there's a schism at Virginia Tech, even outside of the actual like football playing facility. Like that guy, the only reason Fuente still has a job is because, especially after his flirtations with with uh, Baylor uh, after the 2019 season, 
is they that the boosters couldn't put together the money. That, that's the only possible reason I see the, for the fact that he still has a job. Like at any other school, like a, they got an they extension. Just, he got, but I, didn't they just announce like a five hundred million dollar athletics? Like yeah, fundraising yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. Oh my goodness. Well, at least they're <laughs> at least they're budgeting out his buyout that way. So AI 2022, baby. Let's go. Woof. Um, yeah, VT woof is all I got on that one. Yeah. Uh, let's bounce back over to the Atlantic Boston College. Uh, reading some SP plus numbers here, uh, if I can find Boston College. They are 60th overall, uh, with the projected to be 60th overall with the 25th ranked offense. Good. Phil Jerkovic. Good. I think he needs to make a couple of fewer mistakes. Uh, I think draft Knicks are, are looking at him curiously uh, as draft season approaches next year. Get this paired with the 103 103rd ranked defense. That is not good. Woo. <laughs> so uh, I, ugh. I don't, I don't know how that one is going to go, boss. Uh, they have underclassmen replacements for that have had game experience for the guys that got drafted to the NFL, but they just lose so much. Yeah. They lose so much off of that. I think they also lost some on the offensive line. No, no, no. Their offensive line is still evolving because they're, they've switched schemes from more power run to more spread. Uh, but they lost so much on the defensive side of the ball that I just, I don't, I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. I, uh, I'm pretty high on Boston college, but a lot of that is uh, based on Jerkovic and the staff. And I don't know how much that translates to more of the, uh, the trenches. So mm. tell me about Virginia quick, because Virginia. now we are quickly running out of time. Virginia. I mean, I wish I could say more, but I, I don't think that they have quite the, like they have some good, 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 like talent levels, but I, I don't think they have the, you know, the dynamic kind of players that it would take to defeat an NC, uh, or UNC, sorry, or a Miami. So I, I don't know, like we're getting, we're getting towards the end here. I'm not going to dither on forever about about a program that I think doesn't have all that high of a ceiling this year. I'm disappointed that you think Virginia won't repeatedly pull a uh, what ha- the shenanigans that happened at the end of their game versus Abilene Christian last year out of their hat. <sighs> that was again, another Get point. They needed all of that to beat Abilene Christian. Like, no, they were well ahead. They didn't, they didn't need the shenanigans. It was just funny at the end, but they gave up a, what was it? A fumble touchdown in the end zone. Yeah. Or something dumb like that. To only win by what? Like 60 or something like that. Like it it was, was. Get on your horse, Mr. Grant. Get on your horse. I just, I, I'm sorry. I don't have the Virginia versus Abilene Christian demolition on the top of my head. Okay, I'm going to make you do your Duke one uh, to finish up so I can just finish mine out because I know your Duke one is very short. Yeah, um, David Cutcliffe is in a weird, like maybe he's coached for life based on getting them to lose an ACC championship game one time because that apparently is the best you can do at Duke football. I, I feel like this year is like the the only good thing that could come out of it is if they get Arch Manning, and I still don't see that happening. He's got two years. They can get him to commit this year, but he, he, yeah. got, he would have to still – they'd have to wait it out. 
And then he's got a coach for the four years of Arch and all that. Like, like literally the, the only thing that like Duke really has going for it is they kind of just randomly beguile a lot of teams in this conference under Cutcliffe. And maybe they pull a couple of those out, but the cupboard's pretty bare in Durham. Uh, also, the problem now is that with K gone uh, in basketball uh, after this year, you have a lot more eyes poking around that program, looking at other other pieces, right? Uh, not just they've had a lot of administrative turnover as well. So, uh, especially the AD, I think, is I have new. So, a hypothetical for you. Go for it. Akshay, if Duke basketball, for some reason, after K struggles or even like recedes to a more mediocre stance, does Duke like fall off the radar? Like does Duke become Vandy, I guess is what I'm saying. Potentially. Vandy minus baseball. Potentially, but think about the Duke media machine and how much, how much effort, like you would have to torpedo that program. Like, look, to make a soccer reference, Arsenal hasn't been relevant on the English Premier League table like in terms of actually winning trophies for the better part of a decade and a half and they still get a bunch of media coverage so i don't know we're we're we are like memeing our way into putting duke in the top 25 just by law every every season in terms of basketball it would take an act of god to really knock them out of that race fair fair just, just the thought I had, I had sitting here. All right, uh, I'm going to finish up because we are rapidly approaching the two-hour mark. Uh, Wake Forest is fifth in the Atlantic for me. Uh, I don't know how that team is going to look. The claw fence is always effective. Uh, it, it, it's beguiling, like you said, for Duke for, for some teams, especially at the pace that they play at. But at, at this they're point, old everyone this year too. They're old. They've lost a couple pieces. Uh, Sam Hartman isn't Jamie Newman, so that's also a minus. He's good, but he's not, he's no Jamie Newman. And there's just way too many question marks like up and down, up and down that team. There's just way too many question marks for me to feel any sort of confident and picking them higher on this list. Uh, Louisville's next. Uh, the numbers don't agree with me on this one, especially because that offense before the uh preseason update for SB plus was uh, in the top 20 range uh, because Malik Cunningham is a thing and he can do a lot of things with his, uh, with his legs and his arm. The problem is that he loses a ton of skill talent, including Tutu Atwell. Um, It's unclear what is going to happen there. Also Satterfield could get the can here uh, during the season because of his flirtations with, with that South Carolina job. What is up with, ACC coaches and especially mid-tier ACC coaches and flirting with other jobs. This is a thing. It's very weird. You know, this is uh, – if you look at where Louisville – I get that, that it wasn't under Satterfield uh, in 2016, but was in a remarkably similar, like, narrative spot as Virginia Tech was five years ago. And, in fact, even better because they were – they were a top five program, I believe, for a little bit there. And, and just the, the transformation in five years to a, gosh, this guy might not even make it to, what, year four of, of being a coach there? Like, that's pretty crazy. I think this around. is year two. 
No, because he was he he won a he did game 19. his first year. Yeah. yeah, he did nine. Oh yeah, so this is year three. Okay, second real year. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's where I get lost too. <laughs> I still feel like it's it, it's year two for Collins, but yeah, you know, it might as well. Uh, last in the Atlantic for me is Syracuse, uh, buddy. That is a uh, – I know Tech lost to them last year, uh, and we can debate how that one happened all sorts of ways, but uh, this is not a good football team. Uh, and I think Babers is kind of – needs to figure out that uh, telling, running four verts and throwing the deep ball is not an actual offense anymore. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Don't have a lot to add. Okay. Uh, we are quick. Like I said, we're quickly rapidly approaching the two hour mark. So that is all for a football preview. I will probably end up splitting this into two episodes. So if you're listening to this at the end of the second episode, congrats. <laughs> the Georgia Tech history episode and the Georgia or football history episode and the Georgia Tech football preview episode. No regrets. Uh, Mr. Grant, do you have any other items to discuss before we sign off here? Let's see if we are talking about from the rumble seat. If you do not follow us on Twitter, FTRS blog on Twitter, uh, email us any questions to from the rumble seat at gmail.com. Uh, our DMs tweeted us uh, asking the mailbag. We love the mailbag. I love the mailbag. It's a lot of fun. Um, by the time this comes out, you'll, you'll have another day to, you know, ask questions there too. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter as well. Um, we'll have plenty to talk about as the season comes up. As you can see, we have plenty to say on Georgia Tech, the state of the conference, and uh, any other bits and, and teams that come along. So so buckle up. We got, we got like 14 weeks of uh, pure football season content coming to you from this, I guess, uh, usually focused on other stuff podcast. Right into the veins, right in the veins. It's uh, it all starts this week for it's going to be back. It's good to be back. Uh, clearly, we're all excited to be starting off our 2021 college football season with a taste of the Big 12 or Big 10 bleh, with Nebraska and Illinois kicking off the week zero slate. I feel personally victimized here given that I grew up an Illinois fan. So, let's well, uh, I mean, let's you what you might be able to watch. Uh, Scott Frost get left at the Memorial Stadium here. So he, he can take the uh, Amtrak up to Chicago and then Amtrak out to Lincoln to get his stuff. You know, I don't, do they have, is I being train station a thing? Is being tra- I, like- I mean, either way, he's going to have to connect in Chicago. I think you can only fly to Chicago from Champaign, but sure. Whoa. Train station, like it's, you know, 1945. <laughs> Woof. All right. This is the end of part two, I guess. We'll see y'all after next week previewing the first game? Question mark? I don't know. 